0: Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tordashek podcast. little bit of housekeeping. You know what I need to ask you. I need you to click the link that says patreon.com forward slash Tordashek. It's at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. Throw us the price of a fancy cup of coffee and a scone once a month. And for that, you'll get access to all of our podcasts, one consolidated feed, and they're entirely plea free. You also get early access to all our episodes as quickly as I can turn them around And you get exclusives that don't go out. Stuff that we keep behind the paywall just for the benefit of uh, keeping our solicitor less busy. So if you like what we do and you get something out of it, help keep the mics on, the conversations happening, and pay it forward so we can keep it free, -free, ad-free, sponsor-free, and no need for any editorial control. It's very clear over the last few weeks, independent media matters more now than ever, but it doesn't exist without your support. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack.com. I'll stop rabbiting on. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and rejoined by the founder of the Wagner PMC group, uh, Martin McMahon, General Purgosian.
1: <laughs> Listen, we marched our man up to Moscow. Got and, you mar- and
0: you marched them back down again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm making that joke is because one of our friends kindly uh, photoshopped your face onto Purgosian's passport and I didn't even tell the difference, Martin. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <It was>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway look that's the really bad joke out of the way early um we are re- delighted to be rejoined on the podcast by Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan Lynn thanks so much for taking time to talk to us again
2: no thanks a million. it's great to be back on the show
0: yeah, no, no look um there's there's a bit we want to cover and we might as well start um with a couple of things that are cl- close to your heart I want to talk about the environment predominantly if that's okay with you uh, but I suppose I have to I have to open with a uh, more and more we hear Sinn Fein are preparing for government, and more and more we hear that they're they're uh, they're they're trying to live the best of both worlds when it comes to climate. In terms of the, your policies, should you get into government, and the criticism is that you, you wouldn't enforce the policies that are uh, being put in place by the current coalition. What say you of the criticism that that Sinn Fein continually get, including from some people in the environmental movements, who think you're a little bit weak when it comes to some of these policies, Lynn?
2: I I don't accept it and I think that it's look that's a political opportunism for opponents to to try and have a go at you but I think if anybody goes on and looks like Darren O'Rourke is a newly elected TD and if you look at the amount of policies he has produced in the last and for someone who you know could go into a new brief and get themselves landed straight away with the the carbon budgets and the climate act um you know we've produced a new retrofitting policy document that would actually be far more progressive because a lot more people would get 100% grants than is currently the case which you know got no coverage whatsoever um by the media we've also produced an active uh, transport policy document like we're 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 churning stuff out we're holding the government to account we're working constructively in the climate committee um but i think it suits certain people to try and and say that we're weak on climate yes we can always do better of course we could um but look like there's there's an awful lot of work has been done by darren o'rourke our climate spokesperson
0: if if i could be i know darren's not here to speak for himself but i know you've come from an environmental background. This is your area that you were studying in college. This is the thing you worked in for many years. So just a couple of really quick ones. The nature restoration laws that have seemed to be hit a stalemate in, in the EU, European Parliament and how they've, you know, we know the EPP have been the people who wanted everybody to walk away. What, what's your, your position within Sinn Féin on, on the nature restoration laws?
2: Mm. Sch- Sinn Féin supports the nature restoration law and will vote in favour of it in the, the Parliament, uh, which is next week. I think the plenary is the 12th of July. Um, The concerns we had around the voluntary nature, the farmers wouldn't be forced and that they would be compensated. Those are addressed. Um, No, we need the nature restoration law. And unfortunately, we've seen a, a campaign of disinformation, both at an EU level, but also at a national level. I mean, the Agricultural committee. Uh, there was a speaker who was invited in that was representing the, the Umbrella Farmers Organisation in Brussels, and he had to withdraw his entire testimony to the committee because uh, it was pointed out the inaccuracies that were in it. That got very very little coverage uh, in the media. I think again, it was you know it was only the. Carolina Doherty, the environmental correspondent in the Independent, who covered that that retraction, um, and I I put that up to the the IFA and the ICsma when they came into the Climate Committee, you know, and I said like if you're going to bring witnesses in to talk about a piece of legislation, then you need to be basing it on facts, because there was a lot of scaremongering came out of that agricultural committee meeting. So it's not just in in Brussels; it's also happening here on I, the ground. I, I
0: accept that, and I'm, I'm I'm heartened to hear your position on that. Where do you stand on Mercosur, the Mercosur deal, Lynn? Because we know you you yourself were very uh, vocal against CETA. But I see again this week, Mercosur has resurfaced in the European Parliament as a topic up for debate again.
2: Yeah, no, and again, we're opposed to the, the Mercosur trade deal. We're opposed to trade deals that, I suppose, undermine the 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 high standards that we have fought long long and hard for at an EU level. And in fact, I've only raised uh, Mercosur with Minister McConalogue I think it was last week in the Shannon, and pointing out the fact that, you know, we, we're once again bringing in new standards around uh, mi- uh, veterinary medical feed for agricultural livestock, but at the same time still negotiating trade agreements with countries that have lower standards for food production um, and not to mention, of course, the, the impact on the, the rainforest. So again, we have we have flagged that repeatedly, that trade policy at an EU level has to be fit for purpose. It has to be cognizant of, of the climate emergency we're in, but also you can't be undermining the um, Farmers in an, at an EU level that, you know, have very high standards to meet and rightly so. And then you're telling them that, oh, by the way, we're going to import food from countries that have lower standards. And, and, and that was the same with TTIP as well and CETA.
0: Yeah, and I just I agree with you. I just think it's interesting that we see, you know, a lot of changes coming out. I I, I saw um Lua's speech about I don't know, Martin, if you saw it recently, where somebody said people had called me a, a communist and a, a, called me a socialist. And he went, and they meant it as an insult. And he smiled and he said, It's not an insult. I am a communist and a socialist. Um, you know, so so I'd imagine there's there's changes afoot there on on the on the Latin South American side as well. Um I just want to be very, very so Right. Let's let's before we get into the to the to the to the bill that you're bringing to the floor on Wednesday. Um, the actual. Sinn Fein itself obviously is now the largest party in the country and there's no two ways about it. We keep being told we have three medium sized parties. Not necessarily true. We kind of have one, one sort of semi large party and two medium sized parties. And, and that's, that's been fairly standard. Uh, there's a lot of talk of preparing to govern. And Lynn, I put it to you that I've known you for a a long time and you've often spoken about the challenges that the climate issue is going to have in terms of immigration and and the challenges putting it's raised its ugly head again, and I don't know, it's probably unfair because you might not have listened to our podcast yesterday, but Harry McAve and Sonya, Mr. Election Projections himself, was pointing to a, a cohort of Sinn Féin voters who have expressed anti-immigrant sentiments. Are Sinn Féin doing enough, do you believe, as preparing for government to, to, to tackle that um, misinformation and disinformation?
2: I think we are. Um, it's, it's a challenge for any political party and, and the need to really show political leadership on this issue. Um, but I think that the, the difference for Sinn Féin, and if you notice a lot of the far right parties are are targeting us and not targeting the government parties and they're doing that for a reason because they're going into communities where resources are scarce, uh, where there's a lack of facilities and they're trying to I suppose create a split or a, a division that you know somehow people who are coming here for a better quality of life or are fleeing war are, are the, the, re- the threat to the facilities or the lack of services or the lack of housing instead of the government policies that are actually responsible for it. But I think the difference for, for Sinn Fein is where we are an activist-based party, you know, where our, our members are, you know, we are encouraged constantly to be out on the doors and engaging with people. And that's how you you know what's going on and you get a feel for the sentiment. And certainly where there have been um centres established, including where I live myself in Clindalk, and um, we've gone into the estates that are in close proximity and I've talked to residents and just to allay any sort of, if there's fears, if there's uncertainties, you know, you know, is there going to be, a, a, is there enough doctors places? Is there enough school places? All of those questions that I think sometimes people feel reluctant to ask because they're afraid of being shouted down, but they absolutely don't want to associate themselves with the far right and those who are really seeking to, to cause division and violence. So that that work is ongoing. It's not seen, do you know what I mean in the, in the media? The, but it is there, and it's it's engaging with people on their doorsteps and talking to them. Um, and that's that's what has to happen. You know, you can't you can't uh, shout people down. You really need to engage with communities uh, on this issue.
1: Okay, uh, and I get that, and I get you need to. But do not think then that having a councillor who's doing the opposite is is creating. Uh, uh, is upsetting that. It, people are seeing two sides. They're seeing the Sinn Féin that will engage on the doorsteps, will talk to communities. And then they're seeing a Sinn Féin councillor who's parroting all of that, parroting all of, all of the stuff that we know is detrimental to people, that we know is harmful, that we know is not true. It's based on lies. It's based on deception. How long is that going to keep going?
2: If there's any councillors who are putting stuff up, I would encourage people to to make the complaints to head office. Absolutely, um, you know, there we have social media guidelines, we have policies in place, and there is a disciplinary procedure, and that's what I would encourage people to do. Um, you know, if that is the if the case, people should contact the the Sinn Fein head I, office. I,
0: I get that, but and I and I do think what what Martin is referring to, Councillor Aidan Mullins, and his you know his. His attachment, it seems to be the far right talking points when it comes to anti immigration sentiment and his, his willingness to appear on a Twitter space with known far right agitators and, and, and fonts of myths and disinformation. You know, this, this is the type of stuff that needs to be called out by a party who, who want to be a, a lead the first left wing government without finna or finna
2: I absolutely call it out. And if, if that's what I'm saying. If there's, if that's the counselors doing that or if there's other counselors doing that, but we do have a procedure because, I mean, people have, have I suppose there's a case of like evidence has to be given mm-hmm. and people have to follow the procedure because as a political party, we would be criticized if we didn't follow procedure. So look, as I said, I absolutely condemn anybody who is tweeting or putting up on social media anything that is racist, that is transphobic, that is homophobic, absolutely and utterly condemn it. Um, I've come under enough targeting uh, on social media from the far right and from people who who have shared those views. So I condemn it, but I would encourage people to contact head office and to make them aware if there is, whether it's a Sinn Féin member or whether it's a Sinn Féin elected rep, if they are putting stuff up on social media, there is a procedure for, for dealing with that.
0: Yeah, look, I, 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 again, I'm glad you, you've been so categorical and you always have been. So, um, we, this isn't something that we, we thought we talk about, but it, it is timely given, given the situation. And again, the fact that Sinn Feng consistently are the largest party in all the opinion polls. Let's get to the, to the, to the meat of what we're here to talk about yet again. Uh, Neoliberal capitalism has a way of uh, chewing us up and spitting us out, and you are trying to introduce legislation to stop part of the throwing it out part, uh, Lynn, and maybe give um, listeners an idea of what what the legislation is uh, uh, before, because I've 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 several notes that are kind of jaw dropping, but I'd like to get your take first, please.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I suppose I've always been aware of the the problems of fast fashion, so to speak, and that, you know, churning out different trends and where we used to have a summer wardrobe and a winter wardrobe from when I was a kid and you'd look forward to the new change coming in. It seems that there's constantly new ranges of clothes, you know, all, all throughout the year. So there are issues with that. But when this was brought to my attention of, of the scale of what's happening, um, and it's not just the fashion industry, it's, it's particularly um, Amazon have been called out for it. Uh, is where in 2018, uh, the German government exposed that Amazon were dumping thousands of new and unused products, which included Dyson, hair dryers, laptops, iPads, smart TVs. That then followed with another uh, undercover expose in France in 2019. And they found that up to three million products had been dumped in the course of a year in in the French so-called fulfilment centres. And then in 2020, we had another uh, undercover report which found 130,000 items were dumped in just one week in, again, a British uh, fulfilment centre. So obviously, Ireland now has its first fulfilment centre. It opened in October uh, last year. Grace bi- creator. It's,
0: it's bigger than it looks bigger than bloody limerick when you go if you ever drive by it. It takes about an hour just to get past the place.
2: 630,000 square feet. Oh, and honestly. according to Amazon's own website, it says, you know, there's millions of items to be picked, packed, and shipped to customers. Um, but the the model, the business model, and again, it's not just Amazon who does this, but I suppose given the scale of Amazon means that the scale of, of the practice is much bigger. Um, is that they they rent their shelf space to external merchants and there's a point in time if you don't shift those goods quickly they basically become more expensive to store than to actually uh destroy so there's something wrong with the system where it's a cheaper business model to literally take brand new tvs laptops ipads and to put them straight into either landfill or incineration um and that's what's happening. And we don't know if it's happening in Ireland, yes, but given that all of these exposés have happened across other you know, European countries, uh, it's more than likely that it is happening uh, or it is going to happen. But as I said, it's not just Amazon. Burberry were called out for doing it, uh, Cartier, H&M, Zara. Um, it, it's a business model. It's The idea is you overproduce, and then if a product doesn't sell as successfully as you thought it was going to sell, or you want to maintain the exclusivity of a product, you just destroy it and move to the next item. Um, and if you think of all of the resources that go into Staggering. producing this, and particularly with electronic goods, we have all those finite precious minerals um, that we need desperately need for the transition. We have to look after them and make sure that we're, we're saving them for the use, right purposes and not putting them straight into landfill.
1: How do you propose to do that, then?
2: So when uh, Germany attempted to, to legislate for it, but France have gone a step further and they've literally introduced a ban. So if any company is found to be dumping unused new items, um, they will be fined. And our bill now is is kind of mirroring what France has done. So it would be illegal for any company to just put, you know, if it's something is unused, undamaged, uh, it's illig- it would be make it illegal for them to dump it. And if they were cost doing it, they would be fined
1: now there's been pushback?
2: Well, we we tried to reason with the Minister Russian Smith at the time of his circular economy bill, because this is exactly in keeping with the circular economy. We need to keep all of our resources in a loop and not going uh, into incineration or landfill. So we brought it forward as an amendment then. And unfortunately, he, he refused to accept it. He said the EU would address this issue. We were like, yep. Yeah, But the EU legislation, as we've seen with the nature restoration law, it can be quite controversial. It's the lobbying is enormous at a Brussels level. It's also very, very slow. So, you know, you could take years for this to progress, which is why France has said, look, we'll work with the EU to get an EU wide ban. But in the meantime, we're bringing in our own legislation. And that came into effect in 2023. So we could be like the French. And actually just take leadership on it. Or so no as, as the Green green Minister is no, saying, sit back and wait for the EU no, to deal with it. It's no, no different, different to the smoking
1: about. ban. We could be the first or we could be the second, third to move on the smoking. We didn't wait then.
2: No, it's about it's just showing that leadership. Uh, and and yeah. it is unfortunate because the circular economy bill was the perfect place to do it. But... We've now got time this week uh, for a private members' bill with the Sinn Sh- Fein Shana team, so we've decided to to give them a second opportunity to to act on us.
0: Just on the um, on the opportunity here to, to to move, we're talking about like one hundred and thirty thousand items per week in in one in one fulfilment unit, which I find quite a strange term, yeah. anyway. Um, but you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dead zone, we could was another word for it, possibly, but nonetheless. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we know the damage a company like that can do, and but the carbon footprint of of building these products and then destroying these products is immense. Are we monitoring that at all?
2: Not at all in Ireland. No, we've no idea of the scale. Other countries, you know, have estimates on on what uh, amount of stuff goes into landfill, you know. But we do know if we look at just averages, because the online sales model, which, of course, we're all I'm sure you buy stuff online. I buy stuff online. The problem with it is that when things are returned, the companies aren't built to deal with returns so it's easier for them to just put it straight into incineration and you know and that's no excuse because they're working on a business a very profitable business model then they have to make sure that the business model is fit for purpose across the entire length of it so we know that about 25 percent of items returned through online shopping go straight to being destroyed and um, when you look at, fa- at textiles that goes up to between 30 and 50 percent but we don't we don't have the figures for the scale of it in Ireland because it's not tracked but we can only work off that where it would be similar to the EU average. so yeah. it's about 25 percent of items for- that are bought online.
1: I don't know if we can all hear our granny in, the, in our ears saying that's a criminal waste. But, you know, grannies across the country would have said that for years for far less waste than that is. You know,
2: I mean, and it even, seems sorry. Go ahead, Martin.
1: It, it seems very sensible. It doesn't seem unsensible to to work at this, to pass something. It seems sensible to move now. Do you have any sense of why they won't move now?
2: I don't, I don't know. I mean, when we we brought forward the amendments and I wrote the, the opinion piece in the Irish Examiner, I was contacted very quickly by the lobby group that represents Amazon in Ireland to say that they would love to sit down and discuss the bill with me. Um, I said why don't you just sit down and writing what your concerns are and then we'll see if there's any point in having a meeting so if they were that quick to uh and, and to contact model, me uh, i think uh, just, that that's part of the problem is that they have the ear of government parties that they don't want anything that interferes with their their profitable business model well, and, and, and their business
1: model is actually changing at the moment there they are now trialing people coming to collect stuff rather than going to deliver stuff and that's a whole game changer that nobody has talked about within that industry you're adding more carbon miles you're adding a lot more carbon miles so you know the model itself is changing the model itself doesn't satisfy stakeholders the way it is
2: no and like I suppose even if you just if you put aside the the carbon footprint and the environmental aspect of it, as you said, like and then if people are driving individually to collect items, the carbon footprint of that. But even putting aside the environmental point, it's just obscene. It's it's morally bankrupt that you know when when Britain exposed what was happening in, the, in their Amazon fulfillment centers. This was during the pandemic. This was 2020. They were dumping laptops and iPads straight, being destroyed in boxes when kids hadn't got computers to do online (sighs) homeschooling. And that's, I mean, so there's just the whole system. The the estimate was was that less than
0: 20% were marked for donation, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, and, so, and so they weird. would say
2: it's just too complicated to yeah. do the donations. And I mean, personally, well, well, what I
0: oh, well, hang on, Lynn. If it's, if they can get if they can drop me a book that I that I bought online, um, you know, and and I and I'm not even in my same house tomorrow. They'll drop it to the other house that, that that I'm visiting my mother's or something. And they can do that at at the drop of a hat. They can get a bloody laptop to to um, a kid in in a. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but a kid who who's probably in a bed sit, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, but I, I suppose what I don't want, what I wouldn't like to see happen is just that they would continue with the business, yeah. but that everything would go then to donations, because donations are great, and especially for, for electronic goods. But what we need to do is to force them to change.
0: We need a circular their, economy. They're
2: They're oversupply in the first place. Why are we producing more products than we absolutely need and trying to you know address that? And this is just one way, I suppose, of putting the cost back on them that they have to look at the model they have and they have to change change that because we're always talking about individuals making all the, this, the steps. But at the, at the end of the day, it's the corporations that force us to live in a certain way and to act in a certain way. So it, we have to push the responsibility back on corporations who are very keen to greenwash and sell themselves as being sustainable. I mean, Amazon, in their letter back to me, talked about their fleet of, you know, electric vehicles. Like, that's that's great, wonderful, but uh, <laughs> that still doesn't address the question of why you're putting your Dyson hair dryers straight into uh, it to be yeah, destroyed. America. You know?
1: This is going to go ahead. You're, you're putting this bill up. When are you putting it up, Lynn?
2: So it's Wednesday at three o'clock. It's okay. uh, private members time. So we're hoping that they, the second chance now for, for the Green Minister to accept it. As you said, it, it is it is something that should just happen. We shouldn't be waiting what could take five years for the EU to address this. Well, if we're in an emergency, then we need to act like it's an emergency.
1: Okay. Okay. Do you think that uh, there's anything people can do, can they send an email? Uh, can they make a telephone call? Anything like that?
2: Yeah, I would. I would ask if people can contact the the Shannon team. Anybody who's a member of the the Shannon will have the opportunity to speak on this, and will have the opportunity, uh, if if necessary, if we have to push a vote on it. Um, so just to encourage them to support it, um, as I as you said, like on the face of it, I think anybody if they're aware that this practice is happening would be horrified and would say, how is this legal? So (laughs) this is just an opportunity for us to make it illegal. Um, So, yeah. So if people could do that, it would be great.
1: One last question from me, Lynn, and it comes back to what Tony said at the beginning and what you said at the beginning. Tony said that you're an environmentalist. This is your background and this is what you're trying to do. I listen to you. I listen to John Gibbons, who's doing great stuff at the moment. I listen to Philip Boucher Hayes doing great stuff at the moment, all environmentalists. And you've said it's very hard to get traction in the media. And considering where we are with our national broadcaster at the moment, do you think the lack of coverage of climate issues with really... Uh, no, I need, I need to interrupt say,
0: this, this episode of Echo Chamber is brought to you by Toyota uh, Edensis. Ah, uh, no, it'd
2: have to be an SUV. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Th- no but, yesterday, but you,
0: yesterday's was brought to you by the Volvo SC90, you know. So. Do, do you think the
1: commercial element of our national broadcaster is damping down what we need to be hearing about the environment?
2: a hundred percent and actually the climate committee had rte in before them a few months back and we were raising that those very points with them that you know you can have a radio show that might cover something about the climate emergency or the biodiversity emergency and then it goes to the ad break and the ad break is advertising you know oil boilers or an suv car (laughs) or saying like there is a direct conflict of interest and that the, the the public broadcaster needs to be the one leading by example. That was before we've seen all that's come out over the last couple of weeks. So we were actually only talking about in my office about revisiting it and going back to the Climate Committee and saying that we need to to be challenging it. And, and just for any presenters who have these, whether they're private deals with car manufacturers, all of that should be disclosed. I mean, that should be, there should be a declaration of interests of presenters, but certainly current affairs events presenters you know if they're being sponsored for cars that are helping to damage the environment now, I,
1: I know you've just pulled the trigger on tony who will tell us about people who've lectured for for a given speeches for ah, look, lockheed no. martin and, yeah, and yeah. stuff. you know it, I mean, this is pervasive it's, it's, pervasive. it's
0: hugely percent pervasive i got accused of misogyny recently where after i spent i have spent literally months of, of pointing out to people who attended those events sponsored by Lockheed Martin particularly I was upset about Karen Cody of, of of news talk because he has a national radio show that's what he has and he had that and it was it was a, it was an event to try and get Ireland to, to talk about NATO and then someone um Bridget Laffin accused me of misogyny because I, I pointed out that she was also a speaker at it and I just thought this is it this is where we're going to now um and you know again I saw a lot of Glee taken by people um, over the Ryan Tubberty affair, but but I was on the Zoom call when Pat he spoke to stockbrokers and vulture funds and co- and cuckoo funds and warned about the dangers of a Sinn Fein government, you know. So, I, 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 it's it all, it all should be, I'm not saying Pat Lee shouldn't do that call, I'm simply saying there should be more transparency. No, we almost need it, we need it. Like, part of the, the 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 ditch was attacked for being a political organization. It was said by Michal Martin in the Doll. And now we know that there's so much more the other levels, layers to the onion. A couple of very quick things, Lynn, Um, energy charter treaty, where Ireland's been sued by the Rugby Dads Association. I mean, sorry, Landsdowne, um, oil exploration. Um, you work on. You're on the record of saying it was only a matter of time. We've we've had these conversations. It was only a matter of time. What are your thoughts? While we have you.
2: I I suppose my my thoughts uh, are, one, I'm really, really frustrated because it's a case of where Ireland, you know, we should have walked away. It wouldn't have probably stopped the Lansdowne deal, you know, proceedings happening. But we should, like, why are we staying in? We now know, as I said, it's a matter of time before we're sued because fossil fuel companies particularly, and it's not just fossil fuel companies, renewable companies are at it as well, but the fossil fuel companies are scrambling to try and protect their stranded assets. And this is a perfect example of it because the reason the license was refused was not to do with the climate emergency. It was actually to do with the financial viability of the company. And here you have now, they're going, right, well, we've put so much money into it. We're going to try and recoup those losses. But it is, it's is—it's just really, really frustrating because every time I have tried to raise this with the minister at the committee, at PQs, at uh, you know, oral questions in the Shannad, keep getting told that, well, if there is a majority at the EU level for withdrawal, then Ireland will withdraw. And you're like, yes, but Ireland needs to help form the majority minister. Mm. Like, a majority doesn't happen by magic. There are a number of countries who've left. They're asking you to uh, join them.
0: What's really important around this is the idea as well. I've mentioned Mercosur, I've mentioned CETA. This is an example of effectively ISDS working, of of giving companies the ability to sue states for future earnings that they're not going to get because the states maybe may have changed laws that's yeah
2: i mean this is the most insidious form like this was wrote back in you know the 90s this Mm. like this particular isds has no checks and balances whatsoever it's all behind closed doors as you said it's about the future the the existing and future profits of, of companies it's been called out by the ipcc themselves saying this is stopping the transition to a, a carbon-free future. Uh, and yes, we have a minister uh, who's a member of the Green Party, who, of course, is on the record of being opposed to ISDS. And you're saying, well, why then will you not join the voices of the other EU member states who are saying, and even the European Commission, that radical body, that is the European Commission is saying, the best, prob- best possible outcome would be a uh, withdrawal on block. And yes, we're just sitting on our hands going, we'll wait till there's a majority. And until then, we'll continue with this modernization process, which has been you know, proven to fail. It's not fit for purpose. So I'm really frustrated about it.
1: Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of things not fit for purpose at the moment, Lynn. I, I think it's only the beginning of it. and There's a lot more to come. And, and for you, I think, yeah, you get to have a summer. But there are gonna be other TDs who do, who are gonna be called into committees all across the the summer. So a bit unusual summer coming forward, a very active political summer. Um very tense. Very tense. Are you looking forward to it?
2: Well, I've been enjoying you know, normally RTE repeats aren't that exciting, but the last week has been particularly <laughs> particularly good showing for more to eat two I'd days in a row we the, got the popcorn the, out the,
1: well i i know the pac where your 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 colleague is is the chair PAC. i know that's a website crashed so many people tried to get on it at one time i don't ever remember rte crashing except oh,
0: hang on. RTE. You, you've Oops, never yes. you've, you've never tried to use RTE player so
1: you just
2: exposed yourself and never having used yeah. the rt player but <laughs> no i
1: i have and i gave up on it for ages because the one thing it could do really well was show ads yeah. and that's all it, and it's not really kind of a uh where we're at with RTE? we can do ads re- well, but everything the, else is a disaster. The the,
0: disaster. Uh, the, the former Director General D Forbes made the comment that she thought the RT player previously, Simon McGar pointed this out in an article recently, that she thought if the if the RT player worked very well, people who are that 18% of people who don't pay the TV license would be getting RT and not paying the TV license by using this. So there was an element of that as well, you know. Look, we better we better wrap it up because we've gone a lot longer than this. There is one piece of good news and it's actually good news and a, and bad news. So uh, as as many of you wouldn't know this, right? But the the Saudi Arabian wealth fund uh, everybody goes on about you know, to buying Newcastle, they bought golf, they bought all this sort of stuff the 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 PIF. Um it's not even half the value of the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, right? Norway has this sovereign wealth fund that is twice the size of the Saudi one. And recent days, the, so- yeah. uh, the Norwegians have uncovered a mine. 70, <laughs> that- 80 billion worth. No, 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 not worth. 70, 80 billion metric tons, Tons, man, of of phosphate, (laughs) which is the equivalent of the rest of the world. Uh, And and this is needed for, you know, fertilizer, solar panels, electric vehicle batteries. They reckon this the whole world covered for another hundred years and the richest country in the world fucking got it. What are you? (laughs) But
1: but wouldn't it be great if the richest country in the world left it in the ground because they didn't need it?
0: I think it'd be great if the richest country in the world gave it away for free. They don't need it. They have enough bloody money. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Might yeah. explain why the Orkney islands are looking to rejoin Norway.
0: Oh, unbel- <laughs>
2: <laughs> unbelievable.
0: Yeah, we're all
1: looking to join Norway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might build a few bloody houses oh. here if they did, you know, oh. Lynn, thank you very much for coming on this conversation with us uh, again. It is, Really informative conversation. Best to look with the the bill you're putting forward. And let's hope our Green Party sees a little bit of sense that, you know, you really shouldn't be throwing new things away. A little bit of old common sense, I think, is what it is more than anything. Thanks for having this conversation with us.
2: Thanks a million.
0: Folks, we have uh, Richard Richard Murphy joining us from the UK to talk about all that's going on down there, uh, as in the uh, the death death, uh, throes of... um, the the Tory party versus the Tory party does the Labour Party under Keir Starmer so that should be a bit of fun as well talk to you soon take care bye bye Tony and Martin Martin and Tony speaking to
1: interesting people only it's the Echo Chamber podcast subscribe now
2: on Patreon